Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is a Friday edition of Birds 365. We'll get you into your weekend, football fans. We appreciate you picking us up on the Jacobs Media YouTube channel and or using the link on phillyvoice.com. Your Mac and Mac guys here to give you two hours of Birds conversation. My name is Jody McDonald. My partner is John McMullen. Johnny Mac, you got big plans for the weekend? Uh, yeah, maybe a little Home Depot, a little Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know, making a nice little weekend. Now, uh, yeah, we've got extending the play here locally uh, on South Jersey, my show with my buddy Ryan Rothstein, and then uh, going to try to decompress after a, a great week one of, of Birds 365. But you know what I'm doing, Jody. You know what I'm doing Saturday and Sunday night. It's the uh, yeah. biggest, biggest Weekend of the year. Nah, the, the word peacock comes to mind. Uh, yes, the word I know peacock exactly. comes to mind. I know it exactly is WrestleMania weekend. About. We got into that a little bit with Lane Johnson yesterday. He's a big wrestling fan, big Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. You know, I, w- I wish we had more time with Lane because I would have liked to bring up Rob Gronkowski winning the 24-7 title. If he can right. do it, why can't Lane do it? Uh, and how long did he keep the twenty four seven title? Not that anybody keeps it for a couple weeks. All that long. Couple, yeah, a couple weeks. weeks. Good, yeah. good for Gronk. Uh, he actually yeah. did a decent job when he jumped into the world of the WWE. On that, we will agree. Uh, but wait a minute. If not watching WrestleMania, you got some things to do around the house. More time at Home Depot or Bed Bath and Beyond. The fact that you mentioned those two <laughs> in the same sentence no, that was just a comes ode. a bit of a surprise. That was an ode to Will Ferrell in old okay. school, but. No, I'm not. Uh, I'll probably have to go to Lowe's for something. But uh, are, you know. are you a good fix-it guy? No, not yeah, at all. I, not I, at I, all. I can just about change the light bulbs in my house when it comes. That, to that doesn't mean home. I don't get sent there. Uh, but you know, and, and my advice to everybody: when buying shovels and tarps at Lowe's and Home Depot, always pay with cash, never with credit cards. I learned that from Dateline NBC. Really. <laughs> All right, so now you've gone. That's a joke, past, Jody. You've that, gone over that, my head twice yes. now. I don't uh, know where you're I'm going. I'm antsy. I'm antsy this okay. morning. I don't he's, know what to say. He's uh, trying to be humorous, and is uh, trying. Part- I think. I think the people will find that humorous. his partner is just not picking up on what he's laying down. So that's on me, not on you. Um, we're going to lay down plenty of football talk over the next couple of hours. We've got two good guests coming your way. Uh, arguably, my stance is. He's the best columnist in Philadelphia, and he has been 
for a while now. Mike Sielski, the Inquirer, is going to hop aboard. Um, he wrote a column uh, about Tommy McDonald and the uh, last couple of years of his life and how much did CTE actually affect him. Uh, we'll talk just general bird stuff when we get Sielski up as well. And then a uh, familiar face for those who are here on the stream on the Jacobs Media Channel. Uh, one third of the middle, Barrett Brooks, the only third of the middle that actually played professional sports, which we can't really not carry Mays and Aton Shander because I don't think either one of us played in professional sports either. But uh, Barrett is the only one out of the five of us who can actually say, yeah, we uh, when I'm giving you information and opinion on the game, I actually played it. So we'll give Barrett a chance to come on and talk mostly football. Maybe we'll ask him some wrestling questions, too. We'll have to wait and see. Um, yesterday on the show, toward the tail end of it, as a matter of fact, um, from Wednesday's show, it came down just as we were wrapping up Birds 365. Jim Schwartz's <laughs> retirement did not last all that long. He is now back in the National Football League as a defensive advisor, consultant, whatever you want to label it as, uh, for the Tennessee Titans. And little did I know that you had a column coming out about Jim Schwartz. After you and I exchanged opinions on him for about five or ten minutes yesterday, I realized how big a fan you were. Then I read the column and I said, oh, yeah, he wasn't making it up when he was streaming <laughs> with me. He is a huge no. fan. Schwartz was really good when he was here in Philadelphia. He wasn't Bud Carson. He wasn't Buddy Ryan. See, I, I, I think the disconnect there, Jody, I'm not I, and more than anything. I mean, I think, and you're a baseball guy, obviously. Your your father was a GM uh, for a long time. And I think, you know, baseball analytics matter. I, I do think. It's a very statistical game. I, I don't think they matter nearly as much uh, in football as a whole. But when you start to compare statistics from different generations of football, they're completely meaningless this, the game they play today is not even the same game that Bud Carson played. So one of the impressive things, I'm not criticizing Bud Carson at all. I think he was great. I think Jim Johnson was great. I think Buddy Ryan is a great defensive mind. I think Jim, Jim Swartz belongs in those conversations. I think if you had, you know, one of the funniest criticisms to me is the Super Bowl because the Eagles defense gave up a ton of yardage. Well, look at the other side of the football. Nobody's going to criticize Bill Belichick. You know better than anybody, Jody. That's one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of football. You also know games have personality. Sometimes you're in a shootout. That's yeah. just the way it works. And, and, and the next week, think about the lead up to the Super Bowl. Think about what they did to the Atlanta Falcons defensively. Think about what they did to the Minnesota Vikings defensively. People forget that. It's amazing to me. Here's, here's one thing I will remember about that Atlanta Falcon games. Julio Jones could have caught that ball in the end zone at the end of the game. And oh. then we're having a totally different. Totally. Maybe we don't totally. even have Birds 365. But Jim Schwartz's defense allowed Julio Jones, if you're going to give him credit for holding the Falcons to as few points as they scored in the game, his defense allowed Julio Jones to get it up. Well, you can argue a lot of things. You can argue. One of the greatest offensive minds at the time, you know, in football now, but with the Falcons at the time, Kyle Shanahan, you know, why are you throwing it four times the same, you know, trying the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, mix it up. You can, you could say a lot of things. You can go back to the first half and Keanu O'Neill and dropping the interception and, 
there are so many different things. I always argue the best example of that is Eli Manning. You know, Eli Manning is going to go in the Hall of Fame someday. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. If two plays in the Super Bowl go in a different direction, the helmet catch, Asante Samuel, nobody's even talking about that guy as a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's how razor thin the margin of error can be. So I'm not saying Jim Schwartz won the Eagles the Super Bowl, but he was a big part of it. And that defense was a big part of it. Part of it. Brandon Graham, I argue, makes the biggest play in Eagles history. It's not the Philly special. That was the biggest play in Eagles history. Um, well, look, I, I mean, funny, the, one, the one that I would argue with you was made by a guy by the name of Zach Ertz, who we talked Ertz, a lot about play. here. Week I think, one. And by week. the way, I think the fourth and one Zach Ertz play was bigger than the touchdown. I think the fourth and one, and Frank Reich actually told me that after the game. Um, he said, if we don't convert that, we lose. Bottom line, New England was so hot at the time, he thought they would go right down the field and score. Um, so there's a lot of big plays, but you think about basically Brandon Stripsack and Derek Barnett picking up the football. That secured the Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles. All, all I'm saying is it's a different era of football. And if Bud Carson and, and Jim Johnson and Buddy Ryan were all with us in the prime of their careers, they'd be having the same struggles Bill Belichick and Jim Swartz are having because it is hard to play defense in this league. Right. It is yeah, really that, hard. That's why you all, always measure by what they're doing against other teams in the league at that time, errors are so difficult to compare one to the other because you're right. They change mindsets throughout the league and they change rules, even more importantly, change rules throughout the league to make it easier for offenses and more difficult on defenses. So I'll give, I will certainly give Schwartz that he's playing his Eagle era certainly was in play more when offenses are being given that much more break. So it's that much more difficult to be a defensive coordinator. One thing that you did write in your article that as much as I think you're overrating Mr. Schwartz and what he accomplished during his time here, uh, I think is dead on point was, and this is an Eagle fan thing more than anything else, maybe in part an Eagle media thing, but more an Eagle fan thing, that Jim Schwartz was forever trying to undermine Doug Peterson. I don't believe that for a millisecond. No, that not, was, was the, not true. Right. That was the Eagle organization who decided to kind of slam dunk Jim Schwartz down Doug Peterson's throat. Now, we didn't know it at the time uh, that Doug Peterson was as malleable about his staff and just basically wanted to call plays and say, hey, you surround me with whatever you want, whatever you guys think. Yeah, put a bunch of guys together. We'll figure it out. He wasn't one of those, I want to dictate every single person on my staff. Wasn't like Andy Reid coming in with binders of information on who would be a part of the greatest compiled staff ever. That was just not Doug's bag. So the Eagles took advantage of it. And I don't know if they would or wouldn't have, whether Doug put up a fight right out of the blocks or not. I don't think he would have. Uh, but that's a guy that they felt comfortable with as their defensive coordinator. And he did have autonomy his entire time here. But those who said he was out for Doug Peterson's job from the jump, I just don't believe that. No, I, I think it stems from two things. And I kind of mentioned them both in the column. And one was uh, the Mike Lombardi criticism, because those two are friends. And that was so high profile, a little over the top, to be honest. I mean, you know, I you, you're going through it again with Nick Sirianni. You have some of these people judging him on a press conference and 
we all know what Mike said. It basically, Doug was the least prepared uh, head coach hire in NFL history. And then people connected the dots. And Mike is really close to Bill Belichick. Jim Schwartz is really close to Bill Belichick. Jim Schwartz is close to Michael Lombardi. And they thought, oh, you know, that's Schwartz feeding Mike Lombardi information. You know, it just didn't happen. Now, don't get me wrong. As I point out, Jim was brought in here to, to be a safety net, to be a sounding board for Doug Peterson in case the job was too big for Doug Peterson. People do it all the time. When Sean McVay got the job with the Rams, who was his defensive coordinator? It was Wade Phillips. He's coached about 100 teams in this league at this point. Um, you know, when when Mike LaFour was in Green Bay, you had Mike Pettin, who's a former head coach, on and on. Matt Nagy had Vic Fangio. wasn't a head coach, but been a defensive coordinator forever. Right. Um, that's generally how this league does business with first-time head coaches. And by the way, that's one of the big surprises – of this head coach, uh, of this coaching staff, the fact that Nick Sirianni really doesn't have that guy. He doesn't have that sounding board. And I'm a little concerned about that, to be honest. But getting back to Jim Swartz, yeah, I mean, he, he, he and Doug got along. Once it was an arranged marriage, nobody's trying to say it wasn't. But they quickly got along. They won the Super Bowl by that point. They made the three consecutive playoff bursts. And, you know, Doug trusted him unbelievably and gave him autonomy and didn't try to swoop in on that side of the football, which he shouldn't have. And uh, it, yeah, that part of it is tremendously overblown. And the second one I brought up, I, I want to bring up Joe is, I mean, the guy's confident. The guy walks around like he owns every room <laughs> and that rubs, that's going to rub some people the wrong way. I, I just joke in the parking lot. I wish Zach Berman was here because Zach and I used to joke about it. Every day, Jim Swartz's spot, big SUV, parked crooked. He parks like he owns the place, like the Novacare complex was his. I joked about it every day. Here's what I'll say about Jim Schwartz and his swagger. Uh, that was not an issue for most Eagle fans. And when I say this, take it from a guy who's been doing sports talk in this town for over 30 years. I moved here 31 years ago. I think I have a pretty good grasp on what uh, Eagle fans, Philadelphia fans usually like, usually take. Uh, I may be wrong about this, but I really don't believe I am. Buddy Ryan was beloved in this town. I didn't quite understand it. That's true. Because um, he didn't win a playoff game in five years you think about the way that we judge teams now. You better get a playoff win in five years. But he never did. But yet he was beloved. Why? Because he had the defense that he had. And they played defense the way that they played. I'll get to that in a second. But Buddy was uh, swagger personified. So you can be a swagger guy in Philadelphia and win the popular vote. That That's not an issue. So Jim Schwartz could have. I don't think that some people just like, oh, he's a cocky SOB. No, I don't believe that. I think that Philadelphia fans but like cocky say- SOBs if they deliver. Here's the issue, and uh, we, we can agree or disagree on this. Schwartz played a style of defense. It was more or less a prevent defense. It was a sticks defense. We want to try and keep you from making I'm big gonna plays. I'm going to disagree with that. You I'm do? Okay, disagree. tell me why. Well, A, you know, and hopefully we'll get Jeff. I'm, I'm going to try to get Jeff McLean on soon. But Jeff did the numbers and crunched the numbers. First of all, the sticks defense worked. You know, it worked almost 100% of the time they used it. That's number one. Number two, he used it very rarely. 
I, you know, the one thing that I think was really a, a, a false narrative about Jim Swartz is he did certain things and he never did other things. I think the perfect examples of that were all the injuries in the defensive backfield. When Avante Maddox, as a rookie, moved back to free safety, nobody, forget about the fans, no, in, in the media, nobody knew it was coming. Nobody even thought that way. Like, well, maybe they had so many injuries. Maybe they'll move Avante. I have still yet to meet the person that knew that was coming. Cravon LeBlanc moving to outside corner. Same thing. We're saying, who's going to play outside corner? Sidney Jones is hurt as usual. Rasul Douglas is slumping. We're going to, well, they got to bring up this guy from the practice, web, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, Cravon LeBlanc is out there. This guy thought differently. And, and the best example of that is Malcolm Jenkins. Because when Malcolm Jenkins was here, he played seven different positions, Jody. He played every single position at times on the back seven of that defense. I don't know another player in the league that did that. Not right. one. Well, Not you, one. You're determining um, flexibility, which I'll give Schwartz credit for. Yeah, I think he was open-minded. I don't think he was this, we will do it this way, my way or the highway. I think he was smart enough to know you need to have flexibility to be a successful defensive coordinator in the league. You're tying that to, well, no, he didn't just play prevent defense because he was flexible. No, here's what I would tie it to. And you and I may see this differently. The two things that Philadelphia fans love when it comes to defense is let's in uh, blood and guts, which is no longer possible allowed. anymore because no longer allowed. right the rules have changed, so yeah. that's out. Number two is getting the quarterback to the ground. Sacks, yes, blitzing the the way that you get there would score points, send the house. I think Philadelphia guys and Swartz didn't do that, and that's fine. But if you don't blitz and you don't get sacks, then that's not acceptable. You yeah, must but, get but, sacks. But throughout his his entire tenure here, they were a top five pass rushing team. They were a top five pass rushing efficacy Well, how team. are you defining pass rushing? Well, they were not do, a top five sack team. Sack, they were last year when they were bad. They were top five. Uh, they were they were they were ringing up numbers. That was the only thing they could do well uh, as this offense. The thing about Jim Swartz is, from the blitzing perspective, yes, he prefers to get home with four. Now, typically with Fletcher Cox, and by the way, every good defensive coordinator prefers to get home with four. It's the easiest sure. way to play defense because then you have so many people in coverage. When you have Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat is playing well, and Derek Barnett, the Eagles got significant pressure on the quarterback. The interesting thing about Jim Swartz is he doesn't blitz five a lot, so he doesn't bring the extra guy a lot. But what he did consistently is blitz six or seven a lot, often at the top of the league. So when he did bring it, which admittedly was rare, he brought everybody. And look, I don't, I don't know where these narratives start. I, I, they just, and that's why I go back to personality. That's why I do think it's a personality thing because you can't look at this team and say they didn't get home compared to other teams. You know, that's all you can do. We just talked about statistics, Jody. All you can do is compare yourself against your peers. Right, the against the years e that you're playing. Yes. In, right. The Philadelphia Eagles pass rush through the Jim Swartz era was one of the best in the NFL. 
All right, I'd need to see those numbers. I don't have them at my fingertips. I don't believe they were top five in sacks uh, during the gym. Uh, okay, I'm gonna era. I'm gonna look it up in our first break. But I'll yeah, get please you the please do that. And the other one that uh, has always brought it home for Philadelphia fans: if sacks aren't number one, turnovers are. Be they yeah, recovery they didn't, they and didn't or picks. Over. And Jim Schwartz's defense just never put that kind of pressure, either ability to get the ball out of there and or DBs who can make plays on the ball, ball hawks and the like. They didn't turn other teams over. And that's what Philadelphia fans love is a defense that will hand the ball to the offense with a real short field so the offense can score quickly and get the defense back out on the field because we love our D here in Philadelphia. That wasn't a Jim Schwartz defense. Yeah, now, well, certainly they didn't turn the ball over. Jim said it every week. I mean, he said it was an issue. They didn't have playmakers on the back end. I don't think there's any question about that. They didn't turn the ball over. But I think, again, if you take the whole era together, this defense, you know, was better than most defenses in the NFL. And I don't think they had better talent, especially on the back end. I think they had talent up front. But on the back end, I don't think they ever had a ton of talent. Well, and uh, you and I discussed this yesterday. I'll throw it out there one more time. I don't know a coordinator in the National Football League over the last five years during Schwartz's era here in Philadelphia that had more sway in putting pieces in place than he did here in Philadelphia. That I think he had Howie Roseman's ear. He dictated who they went after in free agency. I even think he had sway in the draft room on draft day. So if they didn't have enough talent, that partially was on Schwartz's plate, that he was the guy who was, I might come up short of using the phrase handpicked, but had a serious amount of say on what players were to be added to the Philadelphia Eagles. He inherited the group that he came in with, and I think uh, most of them played to the level that they were at when they got here. I don't know that he blatantly improved anybody, but I don't know that anybody went backwards under him either. But I think he had a lot of say about the guys he had on his defense. So if you want to say he never had the talent, well, the reason well, they didn't have the I, talent I, I, I got a story. We got to get to our break and get to Mike Sealski. But I've got a story after the break. But real quick, one uh, sacks per game, one Pittsburgh Steelers, two Los Angeles Rams, three Philadelphia Eagles. For this past year or the this five past, years it was? this past season, uh, they were they were a little bit better getting to the QB this year. I'll give you that, but I'm talking about the entire Schwartz era. He is John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We'll take a quickie timeout. Columnist Mike Sealski is going to join us next. We'll talk uh, some football with Sealski right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We're checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. 
you got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. you got to give us a heads up. you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, no, no. We have no idea what you're talking about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play talking action to? real. Play action real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. And All then, right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, okay. 16 today. Yeah. I mean, BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Friday edition of Birds 365. Mac and Mac guys with you. Here to spend a couple minutes with us, says the lead columnist for the Inquirer. Our buddy Mike Sielski, who knows full well we brought him on to talk football. But before we do, I got to ask you, how's the Kobe Bryant book coming, Mike? Uh, first of all, great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it is in production. Uh, the manuscript is finished, so it's getting transformed into the book that's going to come out in January. Um, so it's getting a legal read to make sure that I will not get sued by anyone. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we're picking out photos and cover art and all that stuff. So we're, we're in good shape, Jody. Thanks for asking. You got it. Looking forward to it, Mike. And I also want to say before we get to the nuts and bolts of the Eagles, but Mike has got the, my favorite or second favorite Twitter stick going with his, my column thing. With no link, and everybody still falls for it. Mike McCartney, the agent, is my other favorite. Uh, he's the guy who got, you know, Kirk Cousins more money than Bill Gates. But <laughs> Mike, everybody thinks Mike McCartney is Mike McCarthy, the coach of the Cowboys, former coach of the Packers. He plays into that. Mike does a phenomenal job with his my column. So I want to give you a, a, a hat tip for that. As well, well I, I appreciate that, John, but I've actually dialed back on that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, yeah, I had a I had a Flyers player call me a weasel, yes. um, yeah, and I we figured know. that we it was good to to dial back the sarcasm just a tad, so that uh, I, we I, I, I kind think of on the you same page. Should have doubled down. 
I don't need those kind of headaches, man. You end up Twitter ends up stressing me out more than <laughs> than I wanted to when I start doing stuff like that. All right, we'll we'll try and stretch out without Twitter. How about we go there? Sounds good. Um, I know you wrote the column uh, just recently about Tommy McDonald and his last years in life and CTE and what he was dealing with and the like. What motivated you to do it at this time? Was there something specifically that came up either in your life, in, in our, our society, uh, that you thought this was a good time? Because we're a good couple of years removed from Tommy's passing. God bless his soul. What made you write the comment this time? Well, last week, uh, my colleague Frank Fitzpatrick uh, revealed the news that Tommy had suffered CTE and not only just CTE, but stage four, the, the, the highest, worst level of it. And um, once I read that story, I, you know, I keep my eye out for head injury related stories, head trauma related stories to football in the NFL. It's just a topic that interests me. Um, and I obviously know how popular Tommy was and, and is still in the Philadelphia area to Eagles fans. Um, and I, of course, knew about the connection he had to Ray Dittinger, who I think we would all acknowledge is kind of regarded as the oracle of Eagles football uh, in the market. Uh, Ray had written the play, Tommy and me about him. And I wanted to kind of explore that topic through Ray's eyes in a way, because I knew how much Tommy meant to Ray, how close they were. And I know how much Ray loves football. Um, you know, he, he loves it in the way you love it and I love it. And this is a, a, a subject that I grapple with every Sunday during a football season. Um, I, I can't get it out of my head. I just I watch these games and I see how big and fast and, and strong these players are. And as much as I love the NFL, and I do, I love the sport itself. I love the courage it takes to play it. I love the technical aspects of it. Um, I love talking to the guys. I love being there at Lincoln Financial Field on a Sunday. It's like the town hall meeting of Philadelphia sports media. Um, but man, you watch that game and the punishment that these guys take and what we're learning. And I just get kind of whipsawed by that conflict. And so I thought it was worth exploring, um, you know, through the news that, that Tommy at CTE. Yeah. And you did a great job, Mike. And unfortunately there was a tragedy with a former NFL player in South Carolina and Philip Adams and, you know, almost, you know, you almost want to jump to the concussion issue and say, did this have an impact? Did this have an effect? Um, and I think it's natural. But I, I do think what I like about it is you're having the discussion because, I, you know, this is a violent game. And I recently wrote on Philly Voice. I mean, that's never going to change. And I think there's this weird dichotomy where you have people that think you can legislate the violence out of the game. And a perfect example of that to me was the increase from 16 to 17 games because we just talked about Twitter. It seemed to me people had the holster. NFL doesn't care about safety. As if 16 games is some kind of wonderful stasis, but 17 games is a bridge too far. So I, I commend you on the lack of hypocrisy and having this difficult conversation. Well, I appreciate that, John. And, and yeah, I pointed that out in the piece that Tommy McDonald never played more than 14 games in any regular season that he was in um, back in the in the 60s. And still he was dealing um, with CTE at the end of his life. And one of the distinctions I think we have to draw is that, uh, you know, players of Tommy's generation and before it certainly and even a little bit after it didn't have the information and research available to them 
that players of the present day do. I've had this conversation with guys like Zach Ertz and Malcolm Jenkins and other players over the years where they say the thing that frustrates them about this issue vis-a-vis the NFL is the NFL's kind of, as you said, John, kind of wanting to paper over this. Um, you know, oh, well, going from 16 to 17 game bad, or, oh, the number of concussions is down, et cetera, et cetera. The guys know the risks. And what they want is they want up-to-date, comprehensive information, accurate information made available to them. And then they say, we're, we're men, we're adults. We'll make our own decisions about whether we want to play, whether we don't want to play, whether we want to take the risk or not. Just don't lie to us about what could happen to us. And so th- there's a distinction there that I think allows all of us, kind of gives us an out to say, okay, well, I can watch football for this reason. The guys nowadays know what they're putting on the line. The question then becomes, all right, well, what are, what's happening to them now that we don't know about? You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, nobody knew what CTE was. Is there a next iteration of head trauma that we're going to find out in the future um, that is causing even more damage to these guys? Um, I don't know. And again, that gets back to what we mentioned earlier about that kind of conflict we're all feeling. Mike, I don't know if you can answer this question, but I'll ask it of you anyway. And if you can't answer, just say you don't know. You haven't been able to find out. Has the NFL done enough to put every bit of information they can get their hands on? They're a multi-billion dollar corporation. Each individual football player is a millionaire, so nobody's starting a GoFundMe page for them. But they just don't have the capability of getting the same answers that the NFL can. I think the NFL has taken some major steps in the right direction, improved uh, uh, equipment and uh, putting rules in place that legislate out against unbelievably violent hits that can cause brain trauma. But have they given the players every piece of information they can so that they can make their own decisions as to whether they're willing to put their bodies at risk on a week-in, week-out basis during their career? I don't think yet. I mean, I, Jody, I think it's getting a little bit better, but there was a story about five years ago about you know, Congress pushing the NFL to to be more open. Um, there was some kind of report, I forget the exact details of it, but showed that the NFL was kind of withholding some things and spinning some things the other way. And look, they're a multi-billion dollar, you know, organization here, and they don't want to drive people away. They're going to spin any sort of info about head injuries and concussions in a way that benefits them. And I think that obviously the players know that. I think it's incumbent on the players to a degree to be aware of and cognizant of all the research that comes out in the moment that it comes out. You know, Boston University's, you know, has a head trauma center. Dr. Ann McKee is kind of at the forefront of all this. Um, They're coming out with stuff all the time. And I'm sure the players are attuned to that. And I think they should be. Um, You know, I went up to the league offices, I guess it was almost um, a little more than a year ago in January before the pandemic hit and listened to a presentation from the league and Dr. Alan Sills, you know, and, and it was very much like we're getting better, we're getting better, we're getting better. But getting better is a relative term, um, you know, and players nowadays are so much bigger and so much faster than they were back when even Tommy McDonald played or in the 70s and 80s. Um, that whatever attempts the NFL might make to mitigate injuries like this, the nature of the sport and the nature of the athletes who play it is almost like a counteract a counteraction against that, I think. And, you know, this conundrum is always going to be there. Um, and I think the players just have to do the best they can to kind of sort it out for themselves. Mike, I, I think one of the problems, and even for people that want to help uh, with this type of issue and want to get the players educated as much as possible, and everybody 
who has the most altru, even the most altruistic uh, sort of sentiments about this issue, is the fact that we can forget about football. When we were 20, you know how you felt. You felt you were indestructible. Uh, you know, to me, it's always been a cost-benefit analysis. And when you were 20, 22, you think differently than when you're 50 with a family. It, it, to me, that's the core issue of the problem. I don't know how you can fix it. I don't know if anybody could fix it, even if the NFL wanted to fix it. And I don't, by the way, I don't think they want to. They're, all their issues are obviously for pending litigation, and they have to just like you have to get your Kobe Bryant manuscript, same thing. I mean, yeah. you got to get the lawyers involved. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, John. And and you're right. That 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 core conundrum is right there. I remember talking to Malcolm Jenkins about this a few years ago. He had sustained a concussion. What, what he said was the first of his career. In a game for the Eagles in 2015 yes. against the Cowboys, he tried to tackle Darren McFadden, the Cowboys running back, head on and sustained a concussion and stayed in the game. Hit um, it, hit it yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. And hit it from everybody. Um, you know, um, the Camille Grugier Hill did the same thing yep. a couple of years ago for the Eagles against the Dolphins. Um, the culture in that regard is changing, but it's not completely fixed yet. And I think the stigma is going away, but it's not fully going away yet. And there's so much at stake for so many of these guys in terms of a livelihood. You know, a guy like Grugier Hill who feels like I got to stay on the field. Otherwise, you know, will they cut me? Will they replace me? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, the stigma is going away to a degree. We saw that, with, for instance, with Carson Wentz in the playoff game against the Seahawks. He sustained a concussion, took himself out of the game. To my knowledge, nobody ripped him for it or criticized him for well, it. That some came, fans did. Some yeah, fans did, yeah. but I don't I remember any no, of his teammates. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the other stuff came later yeah, yeah. Know, in 2020. But, um, yeah, I think you're right, John. I think it's a cost-benefit analysis for young men, and there's always going to be some of them who are going to say, you know what? I'll take the money now and take the chance. I mean, we see that. It, don't even apply it to concussions. We're seeing it throughout the pandemic, right? There are young people, people of yeah. all ages saying, yeah. I'm doing the cost-benefit analysis. Right. I'm not going to get vaccinated. Now, that's a different issue because that can lead to problems for everybody else, not just them. But, um, yeah, I, th I think you've put your finger on the problem. Almost like the debate with steroids. Do I want to take yep. them or do I not want to take them? It is a cost-benefit analysis. We got Mike Sealski here with us. All right, Mike, let me move it back over to the Eagles. Don't know if you caught either the tail end of yesterday's show or the first segment of today's show. Uh, the biggest, uh, the number one member of the fan club of Jim Johnson, uh, Jim Schwartz, here in town <laughs> is my partner, Mr. McMullen. Uh, he has gone so far as to say, Jim Schwartz doesn't have to take a backseat to other brilliant defensive minds that have been here in town over the last three decades, a.k.a. Jim Johnson, uh, Bud Carson, Buddy Ryan. I'm a Schwartz fan. I think he was very good when he was here in town. Not as good as his predecessors. Uh, John and I both agree the comparison is very difficult to make because it's over errors and the game changes and the rule changes and the way the game is played changes. Bud Carson uh, coming much earlier, Buddy Ryan even earlier than that. Uh, what was your take on the Jim Schwartz defensive era when he was here in Philadelphia? Where exactly does he fall on the pantheon of defensive uh, control men here in Philadelphia over the last several decades? 
Well, first of all, John's a big Jim Schwartz fan because John's a gigantic Baltimore Orioles fan. And every time Jim had an analogy to make, every time Jim had an analogy to make, he would call up Jim Palmer or Mike Flanagan or Eddie Murray or Cal Ripken or something like that to try to make the point. I guess that's his Georgetown, you know, Maryland, D.C. background. Um, I come down somewhere in the middle. I don't think you can put Schwartz in the same category as Jim Johnson, for instance. I think Jim, Jim took what he had when he got here and took it to a different place. Like that defense that the Eagles had in the late nineties already had Brian Dawkins and Hugh Douglas and Jeremiah Trotter. And then he took what he had there and elevated it, you know, ask Doc sometime about the influence that Jim Johnson had on him and the, and the way Jim used Doc, you know, in a way that very few safeties since have ever been used. And, and I don't know that any had been used up until that point. I think Jim Schwartz was generally pretty good. The issue I always had was kind of the thinking behind his defense, which was I need exactly the right players in order for it to work. If I have the right defensive lineman, I can play the wide nine. If I have the right kind of cornerbacks, you know, I can play my system. And there was, I don't know, maybe I'm more disposed to, to prefer a defensive coordinator or any kind of offensive coach who can sort of make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. And I don't know that Jim – did that all the time. I think that Jody's point is a good one that Jim wielded a lot of power in the Novacare building. And so when Leotis McKelvin gets signed to be a starting cornerback, that's Jim's decision. And when Leotis McKelvin doesn't really work out or isn't that great, that's kind of on Jim because that's the guy he wants. Um, so it worked great when Brandon Graham and Chris Long and Fletcher Cox are, you know, at their peak or near their peak and they're coming after the quarterback. It worked less so when he kind of had to make some things work in a way that was kind of offbeat. And I remember distinctly, for instance, the distinct him, distinguish him from Jim Johnson. In 2003, the Eagles lost Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, and Brian Dawkins all in the same season. And Jim Johnson made that season, made that defense work with guys like Clinton Hart and playing Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown before they were ready kind of to be full-time starters. And uh, I don't know that Jim ever was able to kind of patch it together to, to the degree that uh, Jim Johnson did. Yeah. And by the way, Mike, just to clarify things, I, I think Jim Johnson was great, but I do think it was a Stop different Stop Jim Johnson, yeah. John. Yeah, exactly. So Jody's trying to take me down that road, but I, <laughs> I just think it's a different game. And mm-hmm. obviously I, I go back to the Super Bowl season. I think people forget. And I mentioned games have personalities. And if you look at the other side, Bill Belichick, I think everybody would agree. One of the greatest defensive minds in NFL history. He's given up 500 yards too. It it was that kind of game. It was a shootout. I think people forget in the NFC championship game, who had the number one defense in the NFL coming into that game was the Minnesota Minnesota Vikings. They got boat raced by Nick Foles. That's what the NFL, the modern NFL is. And as I said, Jim, you know, Jim had this, as you know, arrogance about him, Mike, a little bit of a swagger, but he was a bottom line guy. And he's the only guy who got to the bottom line. Yeah, Jim Johnson didn't, but he didn't, Bud didn't. Jim Schwartz did. It's interesting, John. I, I, you know, you're right about the NFL nowadays. It's all about points. And I I wrote a column a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, heading into the off season, even I think it was before the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, that, I wonder if a smart team wouldn't go the other way, which is to say that if if the entire league is about trying to score points, 
I agree with you, but I know where you're going. You know, isn't if the whole point of like winning in sports is like exploiting stagnant systems and finding the place where if everybody's zigging, you zag, zag toward defense, right? Like, you know, if, if the NBA were to increase the size of the basket to the point where anybody could make a three point shot, the, the advantage a team would gain wouldn't be in you know, signing a bunch of guys like Steph Curry because it would be easier for anybody to, to make a three-point shot. So the value of a Steph Curry is lowered. So the value would be in stopping teams from actually shooting the three, stealing the ball. So you go get smaller, quicker players and take the ball away. Same rule applies to the NFL. Like, it's so easy to score nowadays. Why not invest in a defense? We saw what the Washington football team did with the three of us and one other guy basically playing quarterback for them this year, they won seven games and made the playoffs because their defense was so good. So, you know, I, I think there's a broader discussion to be had there. And I think you're right. To, within the degree, with, within the confines of the modern NFL, Jim Schwartz was pretty good. Was he great? I'm not sure he was great, but he was pretty good. Well, yeah, real quick before Jody jumps back in, just as, as a follow-up to that, I think Bill Belichick is trying that. And yeah. I think you're right, the zig, the zag, if 32 teams are doing the exact same thing, it comes down to who does it best. Whereas if you, if you throw if the you're the only ball, one trying to do it this yes. way, you might yes. not even have to be that good at it. You could succeed. Yes. We could go off on a tangent uh, for an hour on how you win in the National Football League. I disagree with both of you. Balance wins. <laughs> balance wins now. Balance won 10 years ago. Balance won 35 years ago. You got to have both. And you got to be able to strike a balance. And that's how you end up winning. Talk if to Nick Saban, Mr. Miyagi. You yeah. try and just build the defense, you're going to lose. It always is about balance. But that's my thought. Um we had uh, Lane Johnson on yesterday, Mike, and I want to get your take on this. I specifically asked him about Zach Ertz. Uh, as of now, Zach Ertz is still an Eagle. We know there have been conversations about him potentially <laughs> being traded, what the Eagles would require in a deal to move him, how badly Ertz wants to get out of here. Is there any chance that they put the genie back into the bottle? If the Eagles are going to hold their ground, that they are not moving Zach Ertz until they get what they see as value, we'll find out on draft day. It could be just a move up and around or something like that. If it never comes to fruition, can the fences be mended between Zach Ertz and the Eagles in your mind? Maybe I'm being too uh, optimistic about this. I think it's possible they can. And I think... As, as angry as Zach was last year about not working out the contract situation, I think, you know, and John knows this, he was on the Zoom call with Zach, you know, at the end of the season. Zach really wants to be an Eagle. I think he wants to finish his career here. I think there's a connection between the team and him and the area that if, if there were a way to work it, normally I wouldn't say this about a player, but if there's a way to work it out, I think they might be able to find a way. I'm still not real optimistic that's going to happen. Um, I think it's probably just a matter of timing. Maybe as we get closer to the draft or during the draft, something will happen. Uh, but I think it's it's possible um, just because of the nature of the relationship that Ertz has had with the organization and with the city itself. Remember, he's a guy who he's a very um, he's very aware of what has said about him publicly. Um, he you know there was that incident, if you want to call it, where he he didn't he decided not to block somebody in a game against the Bengals in 2016, and he took a lot of criticism for it. And that criticism really cut him. It didn't come from the locker room. It came from the media and the fans. And he took it to heart. 
and has been very open about that, about taking it to heart and saying, I needed to change how I was doing things. And it led to him becoming an all-time great eagle, right? I mean, he's, he's the guy who caught the game-winning touchdown in the only Eagles Super Bowl victory. So, you know, receptions leader, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if there's a way for a situation to be worked out like this between a player and a team, I, I hold out hope that it could. All right, big picture with you, Mike. This I, I don't think anybody has much expectation as the Eagles go into this season with so much dead money because of Carson Wentz. New, new coaching staff, excuse me, with very little experience. If this team is going to overachieve, how do they do it? How, what is the path? Who's got to play well? What has to happen? Number one, Jalen Hurts has to be better than I think a lot of people – anticipate he will be or can be um, because they're not set up as they are now for a situation where he can just be um, kind of a um, replacement level quarterback, right? Um, I'm a big believer nowadays in the NFL that one of the fallacies that teams uh, follow and adhere to, and it's one that the Eagles adhere to for a long time was that you've got to get the franchise quarterback. You've got to get the Brady or the Mahomes or the Rogers. Well, guess what guys, there's only so many of them out there. Okay. There's only like three or four, maybe at a time. And you know, that court, that position is becoming fungible. It's becoming, you can have a guy for a few years and you can move on from him and find somebody else. There were 23 quarterbacks last year with a passer rating over 90 in the league. It's never been easier to be a pretty good quarterback in the NFL. So just go find a pretty good quarterback and you could probably win. I think Jalen Hurts can be that kind of quarterback. The problem is the, the team around him is not going to be good enough for him to be that kind of quarterback and have them win. So he'd have to be great and surpass most expectations for them to compete. Um, and I think that some of these young players who weren't all that impressive last year are going to have to take a major step forward. I think we forget that in terms of how a team develops, that sometimes you just have guys who take steps forward. Nobody saw Nelson Aguilar – going from 2016 Nelly, who got benched, to 2017 Nelly, who had more catches than anybody else in the Super Bowl. Um, nobody saw him making that jump. And it's going to take guys like Travis Fulgham and Jalen Rager making that kind of jump. Alex Singleton, you know, is he really as good as he seemed to be last season? Um, you know, because you can't really count on draft picks coming in and making a huge impact. So um, I have them as like a 5-6 win team, partially because of the nature of their division you know, which we know isn't very good. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'm holding out hope. I think that Sirianni, I, I don't want to condemn Sirianni one way or another. Um, we don't know anything about him. You can't tell much from his press conferences. That's a bad way to judge a coach. Um, but I just looking at what they have, you know, I think they're a five or six win team. I think your list is good of what needs to happen. I just add to it. If Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson stay healthy, which I know is a, it, it's basically a leap of faith these days because both of these guys seem to get hurt all the time. If they both stay healthy, I think the Eagles should be better because that side of the line will be back up to snuff to the level that we're used to. Uh, last one for me, Mike, and you'll get that this is a little pet peeve of mine. In the upcoming draft, what round is it acceptable for the Eagles to take a quarterback that Jalen Hurts won't get butthurt about the same way that Carson Wentz did last year when they used the second-round pick on Jalen Hurts? First of all, I endorse the use of butthurt in any context, in any sort of media, whether it's talk radio or one of my columns. Um, I think probably the third round. Um, 
Although it would not surprise me if they took one in the second, right? I mean, it's, it's a deep quarterback class. It would not be totally surprising if there were a quarterback who came out in a later round who turned out to be better than all the guys were presuming, with the exception of maybe Trevor Lawrence. Everybody seems to agree he's going to be awesome, um, or at least a very competent NFL quarterback. Um, you know, whether it's Kyle Trask or somebody like that who comes out in a, in, who's not a first-round pick, who turns out to be better than everybody who was taken in the first 10 picks. Um, for the Eagles situation, I think probably third round would be as high as you could go. All right, Mike, last one from me real quick. I want to sneak this in because you said butthurt. Jody said butthurt. Flyers fans are butthurt over <laughs> you. But, you know, Eagles fans, they don't like Howie Roseman. So it, with, with the cards he's been dealt, and obviously he was part of that deck being dealt, but how do you think he's done as far as maneuvering Eric Wilson? Um, Anthony Harris seemed to be pretty good uh, clearance aisle signings. Uh, overall, how do you think Howie's performed this offseason? I mean, it's hard to get around the fact that he had to trade the franchise quarterback. And we could litigate why he had to do that and the blame for it, you know, from now until Monday morning. Um, I think he's done okay. I, I, I don't think Howie's – an offseason like this, to a degree, plays to Howie's strength. The, the, to me, the dichotomy with Howie Roseman is he is very good at the formula – and the logic of what it takes to build a, a team. Like that 2017 championship team was really smartly built in the theory behind it. The idea that like we have a, a great young quarterback on his rookie deal. Let's go out and spend money in trades and smart free agent signings to put veteran players around him and take the money under the cap and spend it on these veteran guys. The, the issue with Howie is that, like, like the trade he made, for instance, to move back to 12, like in theory, that's not a bad trade. The problem is, is that then the, the push comes to shove of actually having to pick the players. And we know that the failing has been there, you know, over time. So he's done fine. It hasn't been great. It hasn't been awful. But the proof will be in the draft pudding. And that's why everybody's skeptical about, you know, what's ahead for this team. Mike Shilsky, always great whenever we get to catch up with you. We appreciate you coming on. Glad to hear the book is coming along. January is uh, when it's expected. January of 2022. Yep. Yep. Very, very much looking forward to it. Mike, thanks, bud. We'll have you on plenty between now and then. Have a great weekend. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Mike Shilsky, the Inquirer, here with us on Birds 365. <laughs> All right. Quick timeout, and then we'll come back. Uh, next hour, we have an actual former professional athlete joining us. Oh, he's kind of a Jacobs media guy. Uh, Barrett Brooks will get to stretch his legs and talk some birds, maybe more so than he does with his boys in the middle. Uh, Barrett will join us next hour. We'll come right back here. Mac and Mac on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. 
catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Maze. Lil Maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. A Friday, week one, day five edition of Birds 365. We hope we are enjoying it. We've got uh, four and change shows under our belts. We'll see if we can keep this thing going for a while. It's the Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald here with you. We've still got uh, an hour and change uh, left to chop up Eagles conversation for you, including getting our own Barrett Brooks to join us next hour. And J-Mac, um, while Barrett likes to discuss certain things that he picks up on the stream of the show on the middle, I'm going to give a shout out to someone who uh, streamed us within the last couple of minutes, uh, because it does lend itself to a question I want to bring to the table for you. And you and I probably have discussed it, but if I forget exactly how you described it, I apologize, but I want to get you back on the record for it. Uh, Theodore Nicholas did send this in, and it was about the conversation we're having with Sielski about the Eagles and where they're at. Can they be better than the 2020 version? Can there be optimism about improvement? How would it go about? It's a bad year. We're not that far removed from 2017, and you keep that in perspective when you judge any year going forward. The Eagles have never returned to that perch of what they were and what they did in 2017. And when you judge what they did in 2017, to be true to it, you need to judge what happened before it and what has now since been happening after. How do you describe 2017? Our guy Theodore Nicholas said, 2017 was an anomaly. I've heard people use the word it was fraudulent, <laughs> which annoys the snot out of me. It surely wasn't fraud- no, fraudulent. No, wasn't um, fraudulent. But it was kind of standalone in that you look what it was before and what has transpired after. 
I think we need to very carefully pick and choose our words to be able to put 2017 in its proper perspective. How would you do so? Well, I think it's fair to call it an anomaly. I mean, just from the perception that uh, there's, you know, the Super Bowl era is pretty big now, and the Eagles got one of them, so it doesn't happen often. You got to go back to 1960 to find a championship before uh, Super Bowl 52. So that part of it is is true. Um, it's difficult to win and be the last uh, team standing in this league. The Patriots are the other side of the anomaly. They're an anomaly. Right. Now, when Doug Peterson said new normal and said this is going to be, you know, basically didn't phrase it in that way, but they were hoping to be Patriots-like and having a long run of being consistently at the top of, of uh, sort of the contender list, for lack of a better term. They did make the playoffs three consecutive seasons, despite a ton of injuries. I think overall it was a success. And I've said from day one, look, Doug Peterson should have been given the benefit of the doubt. If he comes back this season, this upcoming season, and has another four-win season, then you want to move on. I'm okay with that. But three calendar years, less than three calendar years after Super Bowl 52, you're going to move on from the head coach. I've been consistent. I, I point my finger at the owner. The owner has gotten into the scapegoating business, and it started before this offseason. goes all the way back to Mike Rowe, um, who was another guy who I liked that was not popular with the fan base. Uh, and I like Mike personally, and I'm, I'm very upfront about that. But bottom line to me, Jody, is Doug Peterson wanted to keep him. Doug Peterson – uh, won the Super Bowl. Doug Peterson should have been given that autonomy to keep his offensive coordinator. We saw he wasn't the problem. The offense didn't get magically better without Mike Grow. There were issues, and you got to get better. But I think the scapegoating has hurt the Eagles. Hopefully that stops uh, with the new coaching staff. Hopefully they'll have a bit of a leash with Jeffrey Lord, and they can start building back up. Um but, yeah, I think it's fair to call it an anomaly. And, hey, you know, it's a good anomaly. Not a bad word. As I said, there have been many people that have tried to describe since 2017 on, even before 2017. The one that I've gravitated to, and tell me if you agree with this one or if it's on point or uh, it doesn't de correctly describe what has happened here in this town on a football level over the last several years. <laughs> 2017 was lightning in a bottle. They weren't that good before. They haven't been that good since. They didn't drop off the face of the earth. It wasn't just luck. Uh, but I think lightning in a bottle goes a long way in describing what the Eagles football team accomplished in 2017. Agree or disagree? No, I agree with that. And I think the best uh, example of that is those veteran free agent signings. I mean, when you talk about one-year prove-it deals like the Eagles had with have with Anthony Harrison, Eric Wilson, now you go back to that 2017 team, the Chris Longs of the world, the Patrick Robinsons of the world, the LeGarrette Blunts of the world, even Corey Graham later in the process. They all hit. That never happens. And, you know, Patrick Robinson 
we all thought he was going to get cut in training camp. He was playing outside corner. He looked like a disaster. He almost, he himself was so depressed one day after camp when getting beat like a drum, he <laughs> acted like he was going to walk away from the game. All of a sudden, Jim Swartz, the guy you guys hate, moves him inside to Nickelback, and he's the best slot corner in football. It was, it, it, yeah, lightning in a bottle. I agree. That was a shot. I'm sorry, Jeff. Uh, on the record, yeah, no hate here. Just no, not no hate. undying love, as my partner has shown for Jim Swartz. So uh, we're we're a little. I'm bit just having some fun. Okay, good. Um, speaking of uh, Eric Wilson, the linebacker that they signed yesterday, this is one thing I do want to bring up with Barrett. We got Barrett early, real right. quick. We'll get him up uh, here shortly. Um, one thing that does. Uh, scare me might be a little bit of a uh, too much phrase, but I have concerns about or I need answers on about this upcoming Philadelphia Eagles team this year. And yes, there are things that are going to change, but they absolutely won't change with uh, anything that happens. Player personnel change wise between now and the first game of the season. I don't know who's going to be the leader of the defense. We don't know anything about their new defensive coordinator, and Gannon may be great. He may surpass Jim Schwartz, not in the mind of my partner, but uh, he could be a, the next great defensive mind in the National Football League. But what he's going to be more than anything else this year is a newbie in this town, in this position. So we're going to judge him as soon as he hits the ground running with this defense. But we don't know if he's going to be great at it or okay at it or pretty good at it. That will be a decision that we'll all make over time. We do know the players. Most of the players are returning players. There are some new players coming in. There will be additions via the draft. But for the question I'm going to ask, that probably isn't going to play because I don't think that they're going to take a, uh, a major person who can fill that void in the first round or second or third. Who's going to be the leader of this defense this year? I think it's very difficult for a defensive lineman to be the leader of a defense. It just doesn't play itself that way. I think Brandon Graham has got the accomplishments. I think he's got the personality. I think he's got the gravitas to be that, but he's a defensive lineman. I think Fletcher Cox has the abilities to be that. I'm not sure about the personality. I don't think Fletcher's a rah rah get in your face kind of guy, but he certainly, with his experience and with his production, he could be that. But they're both defensive linemen. Usually, your defensive leader comes from one of two groups: either your linebackers and/or your secondary, and usually not cornerbacks because they're out there on an island and they stay out there on an island, and they're not the ones who are going to be calling defensive signals. Who are, who's going to be the guy who's going to take the reins? of defensive leader, huddle leader on the field for this football team this year and can a first-year guy like Wilson, who you told us yesterday, there are certain parts of his game that are phenomenal and other parts of his game that may be lacking a little bit, but he is a three-down linebacker. He's the kind of guy who will stay on the field a lot. Is he a potential guy to be the signal caller for this defense? If not, who do you think is going to be the defensive leader of this team this year? Yes, it stands now. I mean, if they had to play a game tomorrow, I think Eric Wilson would wear the green dot. He did it in Minnesota when Anthony Barr got hurt. He took over that role, and I think he would be the guy. I think Anthony Harris, too, on the back end, would take on um, 
the role Rodney McLeod kind of had if until Rodney gets back from a torn ACL. I would say the secondary leader is Rodney McLeod because he's been here and he's a veteran guy and he had that role last year. But uh, Anthony Harris is that type of player as well. Uh, now, in Minnesota, they had Harrison Smith, who's sort of like their Malcolm Jenkins, so he had a bigger presence. But I do think if you look at Jonathan Gannett's history and where he was, uh, with Indianapolis, and you had Darius Leonard, Minnesota, you had, as I mentioned, Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith, all those talented players. Um, he'd probably lean on Eric Wilson. Now, if they're going to take Micah Parsons at number 12 overall and turn him into the next Devin White, as I said, <laughs> maybe it's got to be him and he's got to hit the ground running. But as we're constructed now, it's got to be Eric Wilson. Is that too much to ask of someone who's coming in new and, oh, by the way, and we like to try and separate football from contracts and salaries and the like, <laughs> but you just can't do it in the National Football League these days because it's a cap world. The Eagles made a commitment of all of one year and under $3.5 million yeah. to him. I'm sure he's happy about being an Eagle because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have signed the contract. He wouldn't have dedicated himself for the upcoming year to wearing the green. But they didn't lavish him with a multi-year commitment and tell him that he's going to be here for seasons, as in plural, and going to be a big part of their uh, defense. They told him, yeah, we're going to bring yeah. you here. You're going to start I mean, next year. Is look, that too much to ask of a guy that you've made a marginal commitment to to come in and take charge of the defense? I don't think it's too much to ask for one reason. Remember, um, Eric Wilson has more experience with Jonathan Gannon and Nick Rollis, his linebackers coach, than anybody else on this team. So he's actually the one who's a step ahead probably in what they want to accomplish because he's been in uh, a similar system. Now, I'm sure they'll tweak things, but in a lot of ways, he's got the leg up on the other guys, even though he just got here. Um, secondly, you're right. I mean, this is not a long-term answer, uh, but for what they have right now, and you project Eric Wilson, Alex Singleton in advance of the draft as the two, three down linebackers, he's got to be the guy with the green dot. I don't, I don't see other, any other way to go. And that will be interesting when you turn it over to a new guy. There is a changeover. But this whole Eagles season is about changeover because we got an all-new coaching staff. And there's some pretty good and significant player personnel changes with this team. And between you and I, John, and I think you and I have discussed this one before, probably on WIP. Um, Malcolm Jenkins and the production that they got on the field from him – his loss, his moving on to the New Orleans Saints, I think was felt on almost a down-in, down-out, down-in basis. But maybe even more so was the fact that they lost his defensive leadership. And in my mind, and I wasn't in the huddle, I'm just observing from afar, you've got a better grasp of it because you actually get a chance to talk to some of the players and you get to talk to the coaches uh, more than I do. I don't think they ever replaced his leadership. I guess no. that's the question I'm asking you about Wilson. Can he be the guy? Can he take charge of the huddle? It's kind of difficult for a new guy to walk in, a guy who was a part-time player for most of his career with his former team, full-time guy last year, and is going to be a full-time guy this year. I don't think they ever replaced Malcolm's role of being the guy to take charge of the huddle, and I think that contributed to 4-11-1 and 
Um, will they be able to do that this upcoming year? I know the new coaching staff is not responsible for what transpired last year, but they're still going to be wearing the Eagle uniform. So Eagle fans are going to hold them responsible. Agree that they never came close to replacing Malcolm's leadership last year? Yeah, yeah, I do. But I don't know how you do. I mean, there are not a lot of guys like that around the NFL. I don't think a lot of teams have a leader like that. I mentioned his versatility on the field, his willingness to do whatever you asked him to. I don't know how you replace that. And Jim Schwartz mentioned that. I mean, it's, you know, you got to go about it a different way. But I, I don't think the Eagles are different than many other teams because I don't see many Malcolm Jenkins out there. So uh, they decided to move on because, you know, he's played a lot of football. He's aging. The old adage, Jody, you better to give up uh, a, a, on a player a year early than a year late. That's where the Eagles were with Malcolm Jenkins. I don't necessarily agree with it, but from a leadership standpoint, you don't, re you don't replace guys like that. You just go in a different direction. And you hope at some point down the road, you get a leader, might be linebacker, might be safety, as you mentioned, on the offensive side of the football. You always hope it's the quarterback. quarterback. But, it's got to be the quarterback. Yeah, it's got to be the quarterback. But most quarterbacks don't lead like Malcolm Jenkins. So, I mean, that's just kind of baked in. It's You're not going to replace that kind of guy from a leadership standpoint. Maybe no, you, you could do it from an athleticism standpoint, but not from a leadership standpoint. No, you've got contacts all over the league, and the Eagles <laughs> did play the Saints this year. Um, I didn't watch Saints games week in and week out and break down Malcolm Jenkins' uh, play. Uh, his numbers were fine last year, probably not as good as they were when he was here in Philadelphia, but they were fine. Um, what did the Saints think? What was the overall effect Malcolm Jenkins's addition had on that Saints defense this past year from what you heard around the league? Yeah, I mean, Sean Payton's always – he he's always called letting Malcolm Jenkins out of the building his big, biggest mistake. He's always said that. He said that for years. So uh, he was thrilled to have him back. Obviously, the Saints made a deep run again. Um, they're always disappointing. It seems like they got one Super Bowl title in the Drew Brees era. They wanted more. They always got – Malcolm was a big impact on that team. But I do think also, you know, one of his greatest strengths, Jody, is ultimately has hurt him. It hurt him in Philadelphia. It'll hurt him in the Saints. Never leaves the field. Plays every snap. Uh, wants to do that. Uh, plays special teams as well. A lot of, we talk about tread on the tire. You know, people look at that and say, at some point, guy's going to break down. And so, in a lot of ways, his greatest strength as a player is the reason the Eagles moved on from him, which is counterintuitive, but that's the way it goes in this league. Did I tell you my uh, uh, story about Sean Payton giving me what I thought was one of the best answers I ever got on the air, something I'd never thought of before, but when he said it, it made just so much sense. I said, how did I not come up with this earlier? I'll do it real quick here because um, we got Barrett coming up in, in a couple of minutes. Um, I asked John Payton, I don't even remember what year it was. Um, the Saints had not been a good team, and there were very few years where Sean Payton has been there since he's been a coach. They weren't all that good. Um, 
but they had finished strong the year before. They had gotten off to a really putrid start and then finished strong, so people were optimistic about their chances coming back. This might have been early in the Breeze era, as a matter of fact. And um, I asked him, Coach, is there such a thing as carrying momentum from the end of one year into the beginning of the next? And he just very blatantly said, no. And I said, really, you don't think there's anything to it? He said, no, the way you asked the question. Carrying it from the end of one year to the beginning of the next. You skipped over a big part of it. He said, I believe you can carry momentum from the end of your season into the beginning of your off-season workouts, and then you carry that into your camp, and then you carry your camp into your preseason games, and then you carry your preseason games into the start of the season. He said, Jody, you skipped over about four or five things there in the middle. It's not week uh, 17 in the end of December as compared to week one, the second week of September. No. There's a yeah. whole bunch oh, of yeah. stuff that goes on in the middle there that you need to continuously carry as far as momentum goes. If you do that, you can draw from the end of a season to the beginning of the next. But if you don't in the middle, well, then you got no chance whatsoever. And I said, wow, coach, I'd never thought of it that way. Shame on me. And it takes a smart coach to be able to uh, lay it out and spell it out the way that he did for me. That's why I've always been a fan of his. His record is a good reason to be a fan of his, too. But uh, the fact that he gave me that and he took his time to explain it to me the way he was thinking, I always appreciated him for that. Yeah, and there's one, you know, you're, you're looking at right now, the NFLPA and J.C. Treader, the president, who's the Cleveland Browns center, you know, they're going off last season and say, see, we don't need the off-season work, especially veteran players. We were able to do it virtually. Uh, the play didn't go down, which I would argue it did. But nonetheless, you know, without the practice on, bottom line is those guys want some time off. And coaches are the exact opposite. They're like, we got to work with these guys, especially younger players, developmental players. So I see both sides of the fence. Bottom line is guys like Brandon Graham, you brought up earlier, Fletcher Cox, they don't need off-season work, Lane Johnson. But these young guys, the developmental guys, Mike Sealski was talking about, the Jalen Ragers of the world, the John Hightowers, you talk about the receivers, Quest Watkins, on and on and on. They got to stop developing these players. I mentioned that with Zach Berman yesterday. They need this offseason work. And yes, it's it's big, especially with the younger players. And if you're going to be a Super Bowl champion or even a Super Bowl contender, that's where that's where you build it with the younger players, and that's where you get them better because, you know, once the regular season starts, it's about the next opponent. There's not a lot of time to take a young kid and say, oh, he's got to work on this, he's got to work on that. You're worried about the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Giants or the Washington football team. So the offseason is for teaching. I'll bring up Jim Swartz again. That's what he told me. The offseason is for teaching. I saw the roll of the eyes, Jim. Teaching, <laughs> training camp is evaluation. Your regular season is preparation. So there's only one part of the schedule you get to teach, and that's the offseason. It's during the offseason. All right, coming up next year on Bird 365 is a guy who lived for that teaching during the downtime, during the offseason. Forget about two days. He would have preferred four days when it came to practice. Not, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> not. 
Uh, our buddy Baron Brooks is going to hop aboard with us. Uh, Jim uh, Jay Mack just mentioned the Cowboys. I got a Cowboys question I'm going to put to Barrett. Whole bunch of things we need to talk to with our buddy next. Baron Brooks joins us right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us That's a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because they get you into it. No, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Happy right. birthday! Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did he just say? Who's Play talking action to? real. Play action real. His son Nick. Happy birthday, bro. And All right. Old. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, sixteen today. Yeah. BS. Seriously, this is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Hey, hey, Friday edition of Birds 365. Look yeah. at that happy guy. Yes. Yeah, Always. we haven't even uh, introduced him yet, and he's already he, he, he jumps the gun on the stream. So why shouldn't he jump the gun on us, no. too? Joining us here on Birds 365 is our guy, Barrett Brooks. Where well, did you get, get that hat? I, 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 you guys, I saw you guys with the hats on when I was watching your show. So let me put the hat on. Then I look on the show today when I'm sitting yeah, in the... We switched you know, it up waiting. on you, man. Right. So I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take it off, but... Now is that 
Is that that's a Kangol or just a reg regular beret? What kind of hat was that? Oh, this is this is a regular, just a regular. Okay, one. just yeah. a regular hat. Yeah. I had I'm my hat on. I took go. the hat off because they're a little <laughs> tight on my head. But uh, you got to go for comfort in uh, things like this. Hey, how comfortable are you? I like the. Uh, what do you got? The camo on there? Yeah, just a camo um, sweatshirt on. You know, the hoodie. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah man. Ex-football ex players can actually dress nice. I didn't know that was a possibility. <laughs> um, Speaking of I, dressing nice, that's Malcolm Jenkins. We just talked about Malcolm. Oh, yeah, Mr. Devonair. Yeah, man. Yeah, Malcolm could dress, and Malcolm can lead. And that's one of the things we just discussed about. I want to get your take on that. Um, who's going to be the leader on field in the huddle of the 2021 Eagles defense? You know, it was a problem last year, and it'll be a problem this year. Um, you guys spoke about Rodney McLeod. He wasn't really that leader that you would look to to say, all right, you know, we got to go out the plate. You know, I think Jalen Mills took a step in that direction and was that guy more so last year as far as being a leader on that, uh, on that defense. But at this point, you know, when you, when you look at the, the basis of a defense, you know, I say it all the time. It's nothing like if you're an offensive lineman and you look across the field and see that Mike linebacker sitting there that, that, you know, wore number 55, you know, the late and great Junior Seau, where you look across, you see 51, I mean 52, and Ray Lewis, and you know you have to account for him. Not only is he a guy that can mix things up and, and, and break up plays, but you have to make sure you get your double team off to him. You got to figure out where he is as far as schematically on the defense. So it's usually a linebacker who fills that void. Well, we know that the, the Eagles don't value linebacker. They need to start a value on a linebacker. They went out and got Wilson. I like him. Um, he's going to be, you know, very integral as far as, you know, what they're trying to do on the defensive side of the ball because we know uh, the defensive coordinator, you know, he came from Indianapolis, and that's when their defense turned the corner. When out, they went out and Garrett got, a, a real, you know, Darius Leonard, a really yeah. good middle linebacker. Well, you need that type of guy in your system. You know, you can't just rely on your front four uh, to be the guys that, you know, make your system what it is. And that's the difference between a, um, a defense that we're going to have this year coming up that we had with Swartz. Swartz wanted his guys up front to dictate the tempo, and that's where he set everything else with. We don't know what this defense is going to do. They don't do, you know, a lot of teams don't do that. They want a defense that, you know, you you have guys in place that, that can be difference makers. And I think the middle linebacker position is a, a difference maker. Yeah, I agree with you, Barrett. I want Devin White, though. How do you get Devin White in here? <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right. The but, problem you know, is, yeah, the problem is you can't find those guys. And and those old school middle linebackers are really becoming devalued and two down players. But you mentioned Darius Leonard. And also, if you go back to Jonathan Gannon with the Vikings, yep. it was it was Kendricks and Barr. Yep. And that's where Eric Wilson comes from. So I do think they're going to value it a little bit more. When you see, you know, as as a guy who played tackle and guard, when you see a Devin White or somebody with that kind of skill set that can run sideline to sideline, how how antsy does it make it for you to say, I got to get to the second level on this guy? And it really messes up a lot of scheme because everything is, is is with, you know, combination blocks. You know, even with blitzes, you know, you still got a double team. And once you see somebody leave, somebody has to replace them. And if you're not on the right page with the guy next to you, it really puts you in an awkward position because now you have to really react off a guy that's super fast. So you might just get a hand on him. So now it's going to leave a guy like Fletcher Cox one-on-one -on -one instead of having a double team there because you have to account for where that linebacker is. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, man. It's very, very hard as, a, as an offensive line because you're going to get ringed when you get to the sideline. Why didn't you get off on a linebacker? Well, I did get off on a linebacker. Why is Fletcher Cox running around by himself? Well, we had to get off on the linebacker. You know, it, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You can get to the linebacker, but then you leave the, the, the down lineman running free. So if they get somebody to that caliber, that ilk, then, you know, it, it really changes the surface on how offenses schematically scheme defenses. And that's what you have. You know, I mean, I know you're not a Parsons guy, but I think Parsons, you know, I think he's going to be a, a, a middle linebacker and not a, a, um, a, an outside guy like in a 3-4 system. I really think that he's going to be a middle linebacker. But there's one guy that I really like that people aren't talking about a lot, but he's definitely somebody we get in the second round, and that's Who's Nick that? Bolton. Yeah, I, I put Nick Bolton in my last mock draft. I was hoping he'd fall to the third round, but you're right. He's he's not going to fall to the third round now. Nah, he's going to go second. Yeah, I I like him a lot. No, I've seen some I've seen some people even put him at the end of the first round. So me too, me too, me too. Yeah. In my evaluation, I saw him as a guy that's going to go the end of the first, very very early in the second because he has a skill level. He's so fast. He reminds me a lot of a. Um, uh, a guy that I played with, you know, with with um, with 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 um, the Giants, and that's uh, oh my god, oh, I can I forget that. See, that's that CTE man, um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Don't Michael Barrow. Yeah, Michael Barrow. Michael Barrow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He reminds me a lot of Michael Barrow because he can drop back in the pass. He can he can handle you know the run. He runs through gaps. He sees the entire field. Michael Barrow was that type of play, you know, and we, of course, you know, he came from Miami, but he yeah. could play the game the old school way. And I think, you know, Bolton's the same type of guy. He's fast. He's quick. He's explosive. He can shed blocks. Um, and, you know, I think there's going to be a problem with a lot of the other guys, just like the kid from Penn state. I think he's a little too small at 215, 220, uh, 62, but you know, he's going to have a problem shedding those bigger blocks at, at the next You're level. Talking about the Notre Dame kid. Yes. The Notre Dame kid. Yeah. 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 Notre Dame Dave. kid. Yeah, he's Mike. really he's really athletic. Guy. Oh my wow. goodness! You know he can play safety. You can put him in safety. Yeah. You can put him anywhere on the field. It's just about you know you're not just covering guys at this at the, um in, yeah. in the NFL. You got to take on guys, and I think he's a little too narrow in the hind parts to do that. We're talking to our boy Bear Brooks here on Birds Three Sixty Five. Um, we had Lane Johnson on yesterday, Barrett, with us, and we were talking about uh, returning and uh, what his job is for this upcoming year, the difference between blocking for Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz. And I asked him about uh, Brandon Brooks coming back. As a former offensive lineman, these two guys have played together. We were just talking about practice uh, sessions, preseason camp and stuff like that. And Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks don't need that together because they know each other. Hopefully the whole right-hand side of the Eagles offensive line is back and healthy and the like. But they do need to learn to block for the quarterback this year. Uh, certainly Brooks has never done it. And Lane had some opportunity, not a ton, last year when Hurts took over. How much do you have to understand just – the wants and desires of your quarterback and how he's going to react and on a given play that you're going to call, you know, ahead of time, how you think it's going to go when it can break down and the like, how much is the relationship between an offensive lineman and a quarterback? What does it need to be? You, you have to know who you're blocking for. Like, you know, a perfect example, my, um, my first couple of years in the league, especially my first year, I played with two quarterbacks were polar opposites. I had Randall Cunningham and Rodney Pete. Now, Pete was a designated 
a pocket passer. He's going to push the ball down the field. He's a smart player. He's going to call plays and get you out of plays you shouldn't be in. That's the type of player he was. Randall was totally different. Totally, I mean, he called the play. No, the play wasn't going to work, but wouldn't change the play because he felt more inclined to use his athletic prowess as opposed to, you know, changing the play. You know, that's two different mindsets. His launch point might be anywhere on the field, and we know exactly where Rodney Pete's going to be. He's going to be exactly where he said. If it's a seven-step, he's going to be right there at seven-step. If it's three-step, he's going to be at three-step. Five-step, he's not veering you know, you know, left or right any more than he has to from that five-step drop. Well, I mean, if you look at Randall, Randall, you could whiff your guy and, and, and make the biggest late block or wahoo block you could have, and he would fade away, throw it down the field, and, and it'd be an 80-yard touchdown. But there were also times where I'm blocking a guy, and I'm blocking a guy for a solid six, seven seconds, <laughs> and he's running around for no reason. There's nobody with any pressure on him or anything, but he hasn't thrown the ball yet. So you have to know what your quarterback brings to the table, what he likes. You know, I mean, and also certain quarterbacks fade to different sides. You know, if you watch a quarterback drop back, they very rarely just drop straight back. They usually either fade to their backside, so they'll fade to the left side, which is terrible because that's where they put their best pass rushers at. And if you're a left tackle, you hate that on a right-handed quarterback. But they fade to that side. So you have to have a stud at the left side because a guy fade to it. If you have a left-handed quarterback, it's the same way to the right side. They fade a little bit. I mean, look at, um, you know, look like like Michael, um, Michael Vick. He would always fade to that right side, which is why, you know, you had to have a stud at the right tackle position. So there's a lot of dynamics to, to, to what you're doing on the field, with what quarterback you have on the field. Now, Jalen, I think Jalen's going to be the type that, you know, of course he's going to want to run out and use his athletic talent. I think they're going to call plays. They're going to call waggle protections where they pull the right side guard and, and, and he's like, you know, he leads them out and he's going to sit there and he's going to throw the ball, try to get it deep. They're going to run play action for him boot protections for him. But they are going to have to sit back and run drop back um, passes for him. And if they do that, I think his game can go to another level if they get him in, um, in a position where he starts to understand where his, where you know where he's going to be bread, uh, bread and his butter. You know, maybe they have him build this you know connection with the tight end or or build a connection you know with the, with the slot receiver. They have to start this now. They got to have camp. They got to know you know the timing of what the offense is going to be. You know, we kind of know the plan on the offensive line, Barrett. One of the few, if everybody's healthy, we know Lane's going to be there, Brandon's going to be there, Jason, Isaac, Samalo. Left tackle, though, we don't know. We don't right. know quite yet. So where are you in the Jordan Mailata andre Diller discussion? A lot of people have given up on Andre Diller. He was going to be the left tackle last year. Yes, he was going to be the left tackle. If but... he didn't tear his biceps. So did Jordan Mailata – do enough to say at least start work as being the first team guy, or you think they default Andre Dillard in the first first round pedigree and give him one more opportunity? They're going to give him opportunity, but what I saw last year, and, and I think the turning point for me when I was thinking that you know, all right, he's you know Jordan Malata's finally put the ukulele down and become a player <laughs> is when he's playing. He's, he's a hell of a singer, by the way. Right, right, right. But I just don't need that. We yeah, wait till you retire for that. Um, it was the Dallas game, and he figured out, wow, if I put my hands on people and I start choking people and dominating people, I feel pretty good about myself. I like this. He started manhandling Lawrence, and I was like, you know what? This is what I needed to see. He started throwing him around a little bit, and he saw that he could finish plays. And once a player gets that in his head that, all right, I'm a dominant player and I can finish plays, 
it's going to make him a better player. He wasn't doing that before. He was, I think he was thinking through stuff too much, you know. Now he understands the, the sets. He's finally an offensive lineman and not just a great athlete. Um, with Dillard, I don't know. I mean, I can't say that, that Dillard would be a guy that uh, he's so that, athletic. Um, he's so athletic. I know, I man, but you can't you can't buy a heart. You know, it's not like you can yeah, see the yeah, wizard. Yeah, yeah. You can't go. You can't go see the wizard and get the heart. You know, I've never seen a guy more happy to be injured and put on IR <laughs> than I saw Dillard. I'm like. Why is he skipping wow. around? You know what I'm saying? Wow. It was almost like the sound of music was flowing through his head when he was on the sidelines with that sling on last year. I'm like, come on, now, are you kidding me? He was happy to be on 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 IR because he it didn't feel to me. I'm just talking about me that he really wanted to play. Really? That's just me though. Yeah. You know, he said all the right things, but your body language and what you do on the field tells tells. The honest guy will never lie, and I saw a guy that didn't want to play. That better change going into this year. And by the way, I'll answer the question that John posed to you. Real simple. And this will be one of those first tests for the new coaching staff uh, that I'll use uh, leading into the season. There's no doubt in my mind the way left tackle should be handled. It's an open competition. How much have we used the word competition this year? Going back to Carson Wentz, didn't want to compete for his job, get me the hell out of here. And it basically threw the entire Eagles uh, offseason into turmoil. Both he and Howie are on the record. Competition's important. We're all about competition. It's all about... Well, and how is it anything but an open competition? There shouldn't be a starting left tackle and a 1 or 1A. No, it's it's not to be determined. It'll be determined on the field. Nobody should go in with a uh, head, uh, uh, a nose in front or a lead to the job. May the best man win. You have the entire preseason, and I think they will get preseason games in this year. Whoever comes out of camp is the best guy. That's the starter week one. I, I don't know. Sound like simple. Sound like I've been in the uh, National Football League for decades as an <laughs> offensive lineman. But I do feel strongly about that one. But, Barrett, let me ask you this. You mentioned last year, my lot of showing you something by laying hands on a defensive lineman. You're a couple of years removed now from the league. And John and I were talking earlier about comparing Jim Schwartz with Jim Johnson and Bud Carson. And we all acknowledge the game has changed. The rules have changed. The way it's played has changed a lot over the years. How much does it annoy you that they actually let offense linemen lay hands on defensive linemen? That that's just one of the tweaks. It's probably talked about less than uh, hands off cornerbacks on defense on offensive pass receivers. But the fact that they the offensive linemen are now allowed to uh, use a little hands and plays that you know you used to get called for holding on are now just look the other way in the National Football League. Does it bother you as a guy who used to be held to a tougher standard by the rules? I'm going to tell you the truth. I've probably been all pro if I could have played in this era because, I mean, mm -hmm. you could reach out, touch a guy, and bring him into your body. As long as you have him within the framework of his pads and inside like this, you can hold him all day. You know, if you get him outside, that's where you, they're going to call it on you, outside the shoulder pads. But if you get him inside like this, you can literally pull him towards you and hold him like that, and he can't go anywhere. You can do that. And that's that's a far cry from from when I played, man. If you if you if you pull them and they they could just go like this, act like they're trying to go, get away, and that's how they would you know get the fouls called or you know yellow flags everywhere. It's a it's 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 an offensive league, you, you know that. Yep. And the only way that they can you know allow these quarterbacks to push the ball down the field is if they let go a lot of the, the you know the the line play and be more lenient in their their ability. To see things, well, they'd see it, but to call things that they used to call back in the day.
You know, I mean, it's, it's a different game. They allow they allow that. But they are restricting the defense a lot more. You can't even touch wide receivers or quarterbacks these days. But on offensive line, it's almost like anything goes. Anything goes. <laughs> and, you know, that makes it a little bit easier, I would imagine, for the younger players, Barrett, to start to develop. That's one thing I wanted to get into. One of the silver linings of last season, all the injuries, you did get people like Nate Herbig. We talked about Jordan, Jack Driscoll, got some really valuable reps. They're, you know, if everything goes right, they're not going to need those guys this year. But from an offensive lineman's perspective, what did you see from those guys? Do they have legitimate opportunities to be good players in this league? There's no yeah. question. Nate Herbig grew so much as a player from his first year to his second year. When they said they were going to start him for day one, you could have bought me with a wooden nickel. I'm like, come on now. Are you kidding me? Herbig? I mean, all he does is smile at practice. You know, I see him smile on the field. But he he went out there and showed that he can be a guy that it's going to be hard to get around him. I mean, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but it's hard to get around him, whether it's run play or pass play. He understands what his body can do, and his, his body can – bulldoze and not be moved if he doesn't want to be moved. And that's how he played. You know, he had, you know, pretty good pass sets where he allowed the guy to get into his body, sat down and kept him from getting there. That's what you want from an offensive lineman. He, he used what he has to his advantage and that's size and girth. And I, you know, I was proud of the kid, man. He, he played well. He played a little nasty and um, I wouldn't have a problem if something happens to, to Kelsey, if Sailor Wilder moved into the center and they move Herbig to, to the left guard position. I mean, that could that could really work out for this team. We all know Kelsey, man. Kelsey is held together by duct tape and bubble gum. <laughs> I don't see how he plays every week, man. Every time he steps off the field, he looks like the walking wounded. You know what I mean? But he finds a way to come back. If he does decide to hang it up, not this year coming, but the next year, I think they're pretty safe at bringing, selling, uh, moving Sam Milo over. And the guys they have right. in that locker room right now at the guard position. Jason's amazing. When he hurt his elbow last year, I said, oh, he's done. Right, He's right. out there for a play. He's cursing. He's out there. He's out. He goes in the locker room. He's back out in the third quarter. John, I amazing. thought he was done. I thought he yeah. was done for the year. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I mean, he got it caught. Player. He got yeah. it caught in between a helmet and a, and a body, and he still finished the game. Unbelievable. Yeah. He is a tough SOB. No one will argue that. All right, Barrett, you gave us some opinions on a couple of draftable players want to get your opinion on a specific player who I don't think the Eagles are going to get. There's some rumors out there that the Cowboys may be able to get their hands on him, and that's tight end slash wide receiver Kyle Pitts. Now, uh, listening to you, uh, I would think that you like tight ends who stay in tight and help you do your job, give you a helping hand. That's not Kyle Pitts. He's going to be spread out more than he's going to be standing in there next to a tackle, but the guy is a freakish athlete and a potential star player rumors out there that the Cowboys may be looking and willing to trade up to get a guy like Kyle Pitts. The Eagles might've been in position to take Kyle Pitts if they had stayed at six. That's now not an option. Right They're down to 12. What kind of an impact is Kyle Pitts going to have on the national football league? I mean, if he gets in that Dallas offense, I mean, we're talking about Amari Cooper, Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Elliott running the ball. And then that offensive line, if they get a little bit healthy, I mean, it'll be almost an unstoppable offense. You know, we're talking about Kyle Pitts is the six foot six, 250 some pounds, 
and runs a 4-3, 4-4? I mean, that's ridiculous stats. Though so you're talking about somebody that's not even human running around out there like a wide receiver, like you said, but has the catch radius of, 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 of a guy that's, you know, that's that's huge out on the field. He does everything that you want from a wide receiver, but he has a tight end build. He's a game changer. He can now, you know, govern everywhere on the field. You know, he can go out and play on the outside, be fast enough to run outside routes, put him in the slot. You can put him at the wing position. I mean, he'll eventually learn how to 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 to, to block, you know, because I mean, you know, as, as a player, you have to learn how, you know, your position. He will learn how to block. You know, he'll be like a Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp was the 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 one of the best blocking tight ends that you can you can want. And everybody thinks he's just a pass catcher, but he was one of the best um, run blocking tight ends because he understood the dynamics of leverage, how to hold the player without them, you know, refs seeing it. I mean, he would lock down on guys, lock down on guys' arms, pull the shoulder pad in, and just run with them. And everybody's like, "Oh, look at Shannon." Well, he's actually he's um. He's actually cheating, but he knows how to do those type of things. And that's just because, you know, he was a, one of veteran tight ends that could do just a lot of things, man. He will eventually learn that, but this guy's going to be a game changer out on the field. It's going to be, he's almost going to be unstoppable because if he has that mindset that, all right, I can catch everything, there's nothing out there that can really stop him from a linebacker being too slow, a uh, safety being too slow, a cornerback being too, too small. I mean, where else do you have that you can, you know, have that luxury? to go out there and use, you know, all three uh, levels of the offense. Well, Barrett, uh, you, you, you know this team's history better than anybody. Um, when they're in the top half of the draft, it's generally quarterback, offensive line, defensive line. Yep. Um, they, they poured a ton of assets in the receiver position already. When you look at – they took three picks in the draft last year at the position, J.J. in the second round in 2019. Uh, at number 12 overall, can they even afford, with all the needs they have, to double down and draft another receiver, whether it's one of the Alabama kids or Kyle Pitts does fall as a sort of glorified tight end, which isn't going to happen. But can they even do that at number 12 overall? I think that, you know, when, when the owner says that he needs to build around the quarterback that's there now, you know, meaning Hurts, it's a strong possibility that, you know, they if, if Waddle's there, I think Waddle's better than, than Smith at this point. I think Waddle's probably the second best um, receiver in this draft. You know, just what he brings up, just from the speed, his ability to get open and create separation. Those are things that, you know, Smith will have a problem with because, you know, he he's, he's fast, but he doesn't have that elite um, level separation, you know, from, from the line. You know, he's a little smaller. But, hey, you know, there have been guys that have been able to do that, you know, Djax did it for years, but you know Djax also had some some injury problems. I think Waddle's one of those special players that his speed will allow him to create that separation just from a player looking at him and saying, "All right, I got to give him a little cushion because he's so fast." Just for just by the nature of of his abilities, they'll give him a little cushion so they won't try to jam him off the line. So I think Waddle will do better than you know just about any other db i mean a, a wide receiver in this draft you know i mean well of course chase you know if we could have gotten chase at number six chase is a generational talent we're talking about justin jefferson should have been the rookie of the year on offense i mean he had over 1300 yards yeah and he played second fiddle to chase in the national championship year two years ago 
And you see what, you know, Justin Jefferson did. I think Chase is going to be a phenomenal player. He ran a 4-3, huge size. You have to respect the fact that this kid, you know, he, he can do it all from, from every position. You can line him up anywhere, and he can play. All right. Add Barrett Brooks to the list of individuals who are <laughs> under-evaluating Devonta Smith. He's short. He's undersized. Doesn't have enough weight. Doesn't have the separation that I do. But all he does is win Heisman trophies. And that's all. Yeah, that's all. That's all he does. Reminds me of a guy by the name of Chris Carter. All he did was catch touchdown passes. You can. But he was him, too slow, though, right? Yeah. You can let him play for my team. I'll take a guy like that. I'm crazy, silly like that. All right. So, uh, Barrett, what position is it going to be they're going to take? Do you think it's going to be Waddle? Do you think it's going to be a wide receiver when we get there and the draft? Now, uh, I'm asking an impossible question. You need a crystal ball to know what level players are taking before the Eagles. But when they're on the clock at 12, I'm not even asking you to give me the player. Just give me the position. What position are they taking? I, I truly think they're going to go cornerback, you know, just by the nature of what this this division has done. You know, we already have the three wide receivers uh, down in Dallas, you know. Um, you know, look at Samuels went to to, to Washington football team. Um, you, you saw what they did with the Giants. You know, they went out there and invested a lot of money in their guys, you know. Um, you have to have somebody that can cover. You know, right now we just have one real cornerback that can cover on the outside. And big play Slade needs somebody opposite him. And we need a, a generational talent to go over there and be a guy that we can – I am uh, – this well, I'm just being selfish. That's what I'm saying. I'm being selfish because I'm tired of watching games that I have to break down and talk about after the game and 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 holding my breath every time I saw third and ten and I got a <laughs> DB out there on a number one or a number two wide receiver. I mean, it gets old, man. I'm you know I'm already getting gray in my beard because I don't have any hair up here. I'm oh, gray. you got you got catching up to do, buddy. Don't, don't complain about a gray beard to McBowen and McDonald. That would be your second mistake. We'll that see. Underrating Devontae Smith. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we need a, a a DB that could be a cornerstone, and in the defense, you know, we 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 devalue that position, and we need to get back to valuing that position. You know, I, I played, you know, me and Bobby Taylor were drafted um, in the second round together. You know, look at, you know, they drafted first round corners with, with you know, the late and great Jimmy Johnson. You know, we have to go out there and get guys that can go out there and cover these wide receivers. And we don't have them right now. We can't just, you know, go get practice squad guys off other teams and try to make them starters because they have one day in, in which they played well and then give them a contract to play for the rest of the season. We need guaranteed wide receivers uh, stoppers, you know, no longer going out there and wishing and hoping on a prayer and getting beat for six every single game. I, I mean, I can't do it, man. You know what I mean? I'm getting, <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get, you know, kidney stones and, 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 you know, um, and acid. I need, I need more and acid for my, for my, for my, for my, um, my stomach, man. Every time I'm watching the defense on third down. Well, we'll let you go get your antacids in. Barrett, great <laughs> stuff. Tell uh, Harry and Anton, anytime we send our regards, appreciate you jumping aboard. We will bug you to join us every once in a while. If that's oh, I would cool, love it. Brother. Oh, you know what? I, I love it. I appreciate it. And you know how it is with those guys, man. Once they get derailed, <laughs> man, you never know what we'll talk yeah. about. <laughs> stay, stay on that stream, Barrett. All and right, take it easy. Appreciate you coming on board with us. That's Barrett Brooks. From the middle here on the uh, Jacobs Media Channel, you're coming back to Birds 365, McDonald and McMullen, and yeah, we'll probably sneak in a little wrestling talk before we put this bad boy away for the week. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have little Harry or little maze. Little maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string maze. and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back here to Birds 365. Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald. We're going to put a bow on this show and on this week. And we got through the entire week. And the plan is for us to be back on Monday. I don't think they're going to fire us, Johnny Mac. I think they're going to have us back for next week, too. Hey, man, that's I, I think it's a success. I mean, at that point, I was going to have to give that retirement speech. And <laughs> now I can hold it off and, and be back at least for Monday. Hey, we're all day-to-day, Jody. That's very true in life and in sports, uh, which, by the way, I know your day-to-day activity over the weekend is going to include WrestleMania 37. Do I have that right? I think it's uh, 37. 37. Kind of yeah. like the Super Bowls. I, yeah. I lost track. I can't count that high. We're getting too high in the numbers. Um, over a two-day period, uh, WrestleMania has become so big, they can't get it into one day anymore. Uh, they've got two co-feature matches, one for Saturday and one for Sunday. I actually like the Saturday match better than the Sunday match. Uh, the uh, main event, they all talk about main eventing WrestleMania, is supposedly Roman Reigns and Edge and Daniel Bryan in a triple threat match. I would have been cool with Edge and uh, Roman Reigns. I'm not a fan of the triple threat thing. I like I like one-on-one. Right. Why do you think they did that? Uh, well, yeah, I don't think Edge was, uh, 
you know, getting enough traction. Big enough won- to put them over, really? Yeah. And I, I think they wanted to add Daniel Bryan into it to 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 kind of spruce it up. But yeah, I'm a I'm a, I am always believe the biggest card should be one on one. That's why I agree with you. I think Saturday, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, that to me is the true main event over the two days. McIntyre is my current favorite wrestler on, in WWE. I was a Roman Reigns guy for years. I'm such a sucker, though. I like the baby faces. I don't like when they turn guys' heels. So uh, Roman being the head of the table, uh, obnoxious jerk that he is. I think uh, he's I, done a great job with it. I think he has turned the corner and is a true, true super. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes not everybody's John Cena. Sometimes you I was going to say they never did it with Cena. Well, they held Cena's, tight with him. Cena's different. Cena's, different. but you know, well, Jody, wait, see, here's a funny thing, and I know that you know because you're of an age with me. You've been following it long enough. Cena was this hip hop wise yeah, guy to yeah. start his career with the dangling chains and whatever else. He absolutely could have gone heel if they wanted to go there. They didn't. Then he became yeah. the flag waving. Uh, yeah, but great it was a mer- you know you know how it is. It's a merchandising thing, and they want to sell. And you're not going to sell guys who are heels as much as they are baby faces because you want to get everything comes down to money. In sure. the case of Roman Reigns, he wasn't getting over to the point they hoped he would. So by turning him heel, so we're we're going to talk about him as a baby face again, maybe this time next year. Hopefully we last that long. And you then think? I think he'll reach that status where he'll never have to turn again. Okay. It'll be, uh, well, the one way they can do it, at some point it's got to be Ian Rollins again because they were just uh, linked together for too long. They've got to go at it again. And Rollins is actually, in my mind, a better heel than Roman Reigns is. So that's how they could get Roman back to babyface status. Uh, what's your take on The Fiend? Well, I don't like it. Don't like you, it. You don't like The Fiend. No. I got to give the nod. I've never liked Alexa Bliss. I always thought well, I she was blatantly Blitz. overrated, and she's a really weak wrestler, and they've got so many more talented women in the women's division. I just thought that they pushed her so hard, and I didn't think she deserved it. I got to give her credit. She is great as she the heel's girlfriend. She yeah. is phenomenal at pulling off that angle with her acting and her like, never a fan, always bad her. But she is great playing with the Fiend. And shoot, I actually want to see her and Randy Orton in the ring more than I want to see the Fiend and Randy Orton in the ring. You know, it's interesting. I loved the first Bray Wyatt character. I thought it was so interesting. I thought it was almost like a weird uh, Robert De Niro and Cape Fear type character. Uh, I thought it was it, it was brilliant with uh, Luke Harper, who unfortunately passed away recently. Uh, uh, and Eric Rowan, I thought that group of, of the Wyatt family was tremendous. I I do not like this Fiend character at all, but I love Alexa Bliss. I mean, yeah, she's she's done a phenomenal job with that, and they're they're pushing uh, uh, Orton very hard for his legacy, and he's done a good job playing off him over these last couple. Um, anything other specific matches you're looking forward to? We know what the main ones are. Um, I think it's, I think they're both really good cards. 
if they had just cut it down, could they have made one phenomenal WrestleMania card? I guess you can make that argument. Uh, any specific match other I, than the I'm one? I'm just thrilled to see fans back. I, you know, it's going to be twenty five thousand both both nights supposedly. We'll see how that looks, but. First time fans will be back since the start of the pandemic. I'm thrilled to see that. But I also think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn is going to steal the show. Those oh. guys have been those guys have been friends since they grew up in Montreal together. They came up, they've been wrestling each other for years. They just know each other. They're both great workers. Uh, I think it's going to steal the show. You talk about not liking the uh, character, the fiend. So annoying, Sami Zayn. Oh, he is it. easily the most annoying wrestler. Love it. Conspiracy uh, theorist. That is so topical. If I want to watch I, that, I'll watch cable news. I don't need I conspiracy theories for my WWE uh, men's. He's even, yeah, he's even dressing up like Shay Guerra. It's just phenomenal. I, just I think terrible. he does. The, the only match that I have less interest in than that one is, and I guarantee you, and I will uh, put it on the DVR. I'm actually on the air when it's going to be on, so I can't watch it live, so I'll watch it later. Uh, the only one I have less interest in, I used to be a huge Miz fan, and I really like his show now, his uh, real-life show with his wife. I think they produced the hell out of that, and I think he's cool. I think she's actually the star of the show, but I think Miz is very good at it. Um, but him as a wrestler, uh, I have no use for Morris and his partner, and they had no right to elevate Damian Priest from NXT. I thought he was about the 12th best wrestler on their roster when they decided to bump him up. And do we really need Bad Bunny in a WrestleMania he's a match? He's a big deal. Evidently. I know he's a big deal in music, Evidently. but does that make him a big deal in wrestling? No. Come on. You, what are we know, talking about here? You know how it goes. They have Logan Paul involved. I don't even know who these people are. If you're, you know, we got to know. We're on YouTube, so we got to know. TikTok, Bad Bunny is evidently a big deal. I don't like it, but it, it's part of WrestleMania, bring in celebrities. I think, you know, and, to us, and, Jody, and he's Gronk pulled it off because yeah. Gronk could fake it. He could actually look like a wrestler. Yeah. Bad buddy, not yeah, happening. I agree with you. It's not my cup of tea, but I, I understand why they do it. I don't like it. We should have a good uh, women's match, though, with uh, Bianca Belair. She's winning me over pretty quickly. I've always liked Sasha Banks. I think her old act and stick is great. So I actually think the women's match can be one of the best matches we get. All right, so we know Johnny Mac's going to be in front of the TV watching WrestleMania. I'll get enough of it. Are you ready to go next Monday, brother? I'll be here. I don't know if I'm ready to go day to day, baby, but I'll be here. He'll be here. I'll be here. We hope you'll be here. Hop aboard with us, whether you're watching the YouTube channel or punching us up via phillyvoice.com. One week in the books, Birds 365. We'll be back next Monday. We'll catch you then. Have a great weekend, everybody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.